Money FM 89.3. Best of drive time. Money FM 89.3. Good afternoon. It is drive time. Elliot Danker, Timothy Gontrat-Tintin with you. We're about to head into our market view segment. Uh, we're bad news. If uh, you're a fan of Apple and you're looking forward to the uh, Vision Pro AR headsets, have you tried this out before, Tim? Vision Pro no, AR? I haven't. No, I haven't tried. This is the new one, right? Yeah. No, I yeah. haven't tried. The last one I tried was the one I was telling you about, the mixed reality one. Oh. From Microsoft, I believe it was. That was HoloLens, so ago, yes. was it? I don't remember the name. <laughs> it was the first one. But anyway, yes. Yeah, we'll find out more news about that in just a bit. But first... Closing Bell. Well, as always, a quick recap of how we started the day. Singapore shares started the week and the day as well in the positive territory after markets in the U.S. closed higher on Friday. So in early trade, the Straits Times Index was up 0.2% to 3,212 points after nearly 65 million securities changed hands. Now let's take a look at the closing numbers. The benchmark STI closed up 0.04%. We're looking at 3,207 points. In terms of Value turnover, that's $1.02 billion. Now, gainers outnumbered losers, 303 versus 238. Top advances for today, we have new incorporation USDs, SIA and Great Eastern. And in terms of top decliners, GMHUSD, Jardin Cycle and Carriage and SGX. Now, in terms of companies to watch today, we do have OUE Healthcare and, and Healthway Medical. Now, that's because uh, OUE Healthcare has proposed to delist Healthway Medical via a conditional exit offer. Now, elsewhere, all eyes on a slew of economic data out of the region, including data points on Singapore's private home prices and Asia's factory activity. Also in focus, OCBC's growth in ASEAN and the Greater China region, refiners' expectations for Saudi Arabia to lower crude prices in August, and Apple reportedly cutting the production of its Vision Pro AR mm. headset. Let's break them down with David Kuo, co-founder The Smart Investor. Mr. Kuo, welcome to the show. Hi, good evening, Ken Ken. How is everybody in the studio? Great, doing well. And uh, Mr. Kuo, let's start with the Singapore stock market as usual. How did the STI fare today? Any surprises when it comes to the biggest movers, say developers, when they digest the Singapore's private home prices? Okay, we were barely in the green, uh, Ken Ken. We were up one point. That was it, right? Uh, And under the circumstances, I'm a little disappointed. I would have thought we'd do a lot better than that. Mm -hmm. But if we have a look at the uh, companies that have done well, uh, we could probably sort of say that uh, the travel stocks have done pretty well. So we have Singapore Airlines and Comfort Delgro uh, doing pretty good. And then we are, also have a whole bunch of uh, real estate investment trusts yep. uh, that were in the green. So we have things like Maple Tree Logistics, Capital Land, Mile Trust, and Maple Tree Commercial Trust. And I think that kind of suggests that investors probably think that maybe interest rates might have peaked and that it's about time that they started looking seriously at uh, some of these real estate investment trusts uh, that look fairly undervalued. But going back to your other question about Singapore home prices, yeah. uh, that has moderated slightly. Uh, but if we have a look at uh, the developer in the uh, Straits Times Index, we have City Development, uh, which mm. was up about 0.9 of a percent. But if you have a look at City Development over the last, say, uh, five years or so, yeah, if not longer, uh, we could probably say that hmm, maybe people uh, don't think developers are the place that uh, they should be putting their money. Because mm. if you think about it, Ken, Ken, if property prices go up, it means that land prices go up. 
So mm. even though a property developer may be able to develop a piece of property, he has to replenish his land bank. And so therefore, it needs to go out and buy more land, and that will be at a higher price. And what is going to happen at the next point after they've developed their property, and let's not forget that it takes many years to develop a property. So you buy the, ba- you buy the bank of land, and then you develop it, and who knows what's going to happen to that property price in three or five years' time. Mm. Uh, David, let's talk a little bit about uh, OUE Healthcare and Healthway Medical. Uh, OUE Healthcare has proposed to delist Healthway Medical via a conditional exit offer. We're looking at 0.048 cents per per offer share in cash. How would you read into this move? What do you see this, you know, in terms of representation for both firms? Is, is that you, Elliot? That is me. Yes. Hello, sir. <laughs> okay. Right. It's not Tim. <laughs> I, I, I can be rude to you then, yeah, because I don't want to be rude to Timothy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thank you. Tim is next, by the way. <laughs> okay. I, I tell you what, Elliot, it's yeah. payday come early. I think both these way medical investors. I mean, that share price is uh, uh, the highest it's been for a very long time, and it also represents a 45% premium uh, to the previous closing price. So okay. uh, I think Heathway, uh, Healthway uh, medical investors should be fairly happy. And I think as far as OUE is concerned, they know that they need to be able to um, consolidate their business and be able to expand their business when necessary. And one of the best ways of doing that is to take something that you own a part of and bring it in-house, and okay. then you can have total control over how you want to expand. Mm. And, of course, if you have a look at Healthway Medical, it has a pretty good reputation. So, therefore, I think it's buying a good asset, and I think it's a win-win for everybody. So, investors will be able to catch out, and it's payday come early. Mm. All right, David, this is Tim now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's talk about something that's in the news today. Of course, OCBC's CEO, Helen Wong, uh, uh, expects macro trends to boost OCBC's ASEAN Greater China growth plans. And this will, well, she, she's expecting to add $3 billion in revenue uh, by 2025 on top of its current growth trajectory. What do you think? Well, I, I, I tell you what, Timothy, I, I don't want to be rude, right? But I'm, I'm really surprised it's taken this long for OCBC. I mean, it bought Wing Hung Bank in Hong Kong back in about 2014. Mm. And we're now in 2023, right? Mm-hmm. So it's about nine years after they bought Wing Hung Bank. And then now they're talking about expanding this uh, uh, ASEAN region and this gateway. And let's not forget what OCBC actually stands for, right? It's Overseas Chinese Banking Corporation. And it is ideally positioned to uh, help overseas Chinese people uh, and those within China itself and to try and sort of connect all the dots. So uh, I I think it's a bit late in coming, but I'm glad it is coming. And I think a lot of people, when they have a look at those three Singapore banks, generally they say, oh, you know, um, DBS is doing quite well. UOB is doing quite well. What's happened to OCBC? And finally, you know, I think that OCBC is waking up to the fact that they need to do something. Mm -hmm. And uh, they have this they have this gem, they have this uh, secret ingredient in Hong Kong called Wing Hung Bank, which they're going to be exploiting. And they're going to be um, uh, connecting all the dots and renaming a lot of things under this big umbrella called OCBC, which is great news, I think, for OCB, OCBC investors, including myself, of course. Well, uh, speaking of OCBC and Greater China, let's stay Within Asia, Mr. Ko, Asia's factory activity slumped in June, according to business surveys out today. Uh, now, 
we do see manufacturing activity expanding marginally in China, but it contracted in powerhouses, namely Japan and South Korea. And if we look at South Korea, I believe it is suffering the longest downturn in at least 19 years. What is the outlook mm. for the region then? Let, let me throw the question back at you, Ken. Ken. Are, you surpri- <laughs> are you surprised? Right? I'm not I entirely mean, surprised, to be honest. Well, exactly, exactly. And, and that is my point. I mean, we are going into some kind of uh, global economic slowdown. So uh, manufacturing is one of the first ones generally to be hit because uh, um, uh, suppliers, wholesalers, you know, don't want as much goods. So therefore, they place less orders with manufacturers. And this is something that we are going to have to live with. And if you are a manufacturer, it's about time you start tightening your belt and having a look at uh, your headcount and have a look, having a look at your order books and sort of say, we're going to have to live with this for a long while because there's this thing called quantitative tightening and there's mm. also this thing called interest rate increases over in America. There's going to be less uh, liquidity around the place. And uh, whilst a lot of people have been talking about how resilient the uh, consumers and households have been, uh, I think they've probably sort of fired their last bullets now because whatever savings they had over the pandemic money that they didn't need to spend uh, because Mm. they couldn't go anywhere. I think a lot of that money has been spent already. So uh, uh, I'm I'm not positive, I think, you know, Mm. for the manufacturing sector. And it's going to be, and uh, some people have suggested, there's already been a recession in the manufacturing sector. So we just got to wait to see how the rest of uh, the global economy fares. And we're talking about consumer spending and government spending mm. and uh, private sector investments. And, and, and I'm not, uh, I'm certainly not uh, expecting um, uh, a lot of excitement in those areas, Tentian. Mm, and I'm not surprised that you say so as well, Mr. Kuo. Now, if you're just tuning in, we are now speaking to David Kuo, co-founder of The Smart Investor. And Mr. Kuo, let's take a look at Asian refiners. They are expecting Saudi Arabia to lower prices for crude supply to the region in August. And uh, that's even as you know Saudi Arabia raised prices for July loading cargoes. To what extent is this due to expectations of lower demand? Mm, okay, uh, uh, I, I will steal a line from many uh, British members of parliament or British government officials, I referred to the answer that I gave earlier, right? Uh, which is therefore that, yeah, uh, we, we are going to some kind of global economic slowdown. Yeah. And I think the oil producers know that as well. And uh, it was a bit of a surprise when uh, oil prices were raised by Saudi Arabia. But I think they're going to reverse all of that now because they know that there's going to be less demand for oil. And consequently, uh, if there's going to be less demand, the only way they're going to be able to stimulate any kind of interest in oil mm. would be to lower prices. So it's still speculation as to whether or not they will reduce the price mm. of oil. But I think it's pretty much on the cards, Ken Tien. Right. And, well, Mr. Ko, let's talk about something different, right? The Financial Times reporting that Apple has been forced to make major cuts to production forecasts for its AR headset, which is the Vision mm. Pro that was launched last month. I believe that the magic number is uh, that Apple is going to make fewer than 400,000 units next year, which is rather significant if we look at Apple's earlier targets. So your assessment on Apple's entry into the AR VR market and, you know, the news coming on the back of it hitting that three trillion US dollars market cap? Well, OK, so uh, I, I think the uh, the AR headset, uh, the, uh, the Vision Pro was always going to be pretty experimental. And we only have to look back at when they first launched the Apple Watch and everybody said it would never take off. Mm. And uh, look at it now. I mean, sometimes when I'm on the bus and on the MRT, 
uh, MTR, MRT. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I have, a, I have a look and I see a lot of people wearing those Apple watches. So it, it will take time. But let's not forget also, if it's 400,000 yen yen, and if I'm not wrong, that headset is going to cost somewhere in the region of 3,000 US dollars. Yeah, it's about 3,500 US dollars. So 400,000 times 3,000, that's 1.2 billion US dollars worth of revenue. Um, mm. Well, if somebody offered me $1.2 billion worth of revenue, I would bite their hand off, yeah? And so, yes, uh, it's going to take time, and it is definitely quite experimental, and I will certainly not be one of those that will rush out and buy the head, uh, the, uh, the virtual reality or the, or the AR Vision Pro headset straight away. Uh, and uh, when it becomes more commonplace, then I might go in and buy one, but uh, definitely not at the moment. Unless, of course, I can see the three of you in the studio hmm. using my, my headset. That would be a different matter altogether. Then I can insult Elliot as much as I can, yeah? And then uh, he, he would definitely not be within uh, responding distance, yeah? Sure. <laughs> you can still do that. David, no problem. <laughs> but but the thing though is, you know, um, investors were quite happy when Apple hit that three trillion US dollars market cap over the weekend, and now this piece of news coming in. Do you see investors becoming a little bit disappointed on the on the the VR news, or is it pretty much expected given how experimental it is going to be? Okay, are you talking about me? Because I am a Apple investor, right? So therefore, I was I was absolutely delighted when it hit three trillion US dollars. But let's not forget that. Yes, uh, things like the headset, things like the, uh, the iPad, uh, the iPhone, all of those things, uh, mm. the equipment that allows Apple to connect uh, people to its ecosystem. What right. Apple really has is a community, and it is that ecosystem which is so powerful within Apple. So you go and buy one of these things, and then you suddenly find that you need uh, extra storage space, you need all sorts of things for it, and that uh, that services revenue is the part that Apple is really focusing on. Mm. So, yes, uh, I, I, I agree with you. Uh, the AR headset uh, has, to some extent, you know, propelled uh, Apple share price, but people are looking at something else. People are looking at that services revenue, yep. uh, which is recurring revenue. So the moment you start doing that, the moment you start buying more storage space in order to put your photos and stuff in, well, you're going to have to keep on buying it on a regular basis. And that is the most powerful part of Apple. You're talking about a, an iPhone user like myself with 60 over 1,000 photos in my, in my, my phone, goodness. and now I can't escape away from, from that uh, cloud services 60, and whatnot. 60,000 photos, <laughs> my goodness. Uh, okay. I, I, I don't okay, have... You're, you're, you're still going to judge me. But uh, Mr. Ko, <laughs> let's, let's wrap up the conversation by very quickly touching on uh, UBS Group. It is aiming to avoid that $10 billion US dollar backstop for Credit Suisse by the Swiss government within your expectations? Uh, well, uh, yes, I think so. Uh, this is a political issue rather than a financial issue. Yeah. Uh, when UBS went and bought, uh, well, had, had to bail out Credit Suisse, uh, what they said was that they didn't want to get lumbered by huge amounts of losses. Mm. And the Swiss government said they would come in and provide a backstop of uh, uh, 9 billion euros, uh, which works out to be about 10 billion US dollars. Uh, but at the same time, uh, let's not forget this is taxpayers' money. And so therefore, UBS has to tread very carefully and has to say, yes, you know, we went out and bought uh, this bank. Um, maybe our arm was twisted behind our backs when we went out and bought it. But at the same time, 
Uh, there are good parts and bad parts, and you can't just sort of say, "Yeah, I, I want to backstop all the back, bad parts, yep. and I'm going to forget about all the good parts." So, yeah, um, it, it is political rather than financial. But I think if UBS wants to do right by the Swiss people, then uh, it shouldn't really draw on this uh, this backstop at all, and it should just simply lump it and say shareholders have to uh, accept the fact that there will be uh, good times and bad times, and uh, whilst these might be temporary bad times, the, the good times still come ahead. And um, a, uh, uh, to be able to uh, amalgamate uh, Credit Suisse together with mm. UBS, I think will form right. a very powerful bank with a huge, uh, huge amount of monopoly. Yeah. Mm. All right. Thanks a lot, Mr. Ko. That was David Ko, co-founder of The Smart Investor. Thank you very much for joining us on Money FM 89.3. You're welcome. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.